Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Transcript Podcast. You've got me, Scott Krisloff. I'm editor of the Transcript, along with Eric Mokaya, who's our lead author. Uh, a lot has changed in the world since the last time that we had a podcast. Unfortunately, the whole world is grappling with war in Ukraine, as everyone is aware. And the large supply chain implications of the war are really impacting everybody economically. And so we're seeing energy prices rise around the world oil prices spiking. And then also Ukraine and Russia combined are pretty large suppliers of a lot of food staples, corn and wheat, 25, 30% of the world's supply. And so there's a lot of inflation that could come from, I think hopefully just this ends sooner than expected with a Ukraine victory. But until that happens, I think there's a lot of uncertainty in markets and the uncertainty kind of feels reminiscent of 2020 in a lot of ways. Eric, any thoughts? It's striking though that it's actually been two years. It feels like it's been a, such a long time since the pandemic started and then we had all those uncertainties, lockdowns, the stock market crashing, March 2020. And now we're kind of back again uh, to that level. A lot of stocks are actually back to the same level they're trading at March 2020. The uncertainties have spiked again, uh, same levels as, as it was. So I think it's uh, such a scary time in the world. Hopefully, as you say, it gets resolved as quickly as possible um, because this is not like the kind of assistance you need immediately after COVID. And of course, we really hope like, especially some of our readers who may have people in Ukraine or in, in nearby cities that they are all safe. And we really wish that they are, that this will be quickly resolved so that we can kind of come back to a, a a semblance of normalcy. Otherwise, in the market, it's been crazy these past two weeks. I mean, oil prices are, are close to $140 a barrel for crude or for Brent crude, which is really crazy. I haven't lived in such a time, at least I haven't paid attention in the market in such a time that oil prices get to such high levels. How you as a student of history are kind of, do you have any reflections or time periods that are relatable? I started my career in finance in 2007, so right at the tail end of 2007 boom and right before the financial crisis started and really into late 08, my first full day of work in markets, the oil bubble collapsed. So we had an oil bubble like in 07, 08. And I think if I remember right, Brent got up to like $145 a barrel at that and then collapsed. But it's interesting because, you know, the crude oil prices are about the same now as they were then if not even a little bit lower. But I don't recall gas prices ever getting to the prices that they are in Los Angeles right now. I've seen $6 a gallon in LA, which is just... So the inflation is really, really massive. And, you know, I just always think about it. for a lower income consumer, gas and food prices are a massive part of their consumption basket. And so if you're spending $100 just to fill up your tank to get to back and forth to work, it's really eating into your standard of living. And so I think that this is something we're starting to pick up on and could get more severe is just the impact of the low-income consumer from this inflation. The good thing is that a lot of companies are ramping up capex, oil and gas capex. I do take a, little, a lot of, uh, I mean, I looked at the statistics in Germany relies on Russia for, for I mean, Europe relies on Russia for 40% of its gas supplies. And I think that's something you can shift overnight as companies try to maybe uh, avoid taking up Russian oil and gas. There will be significant pressure in the market in terms of very high demand and very low supply, especially for Western countries in this regard. So oil prices, sadly, uh, gas prices will be actually be 
at sustainably at, at this kind of levels for a little while longer, sadly. But hopefully, I mean, some of the comments we saw there, deep water uh, dr uh, drilling may make a comeback. U.S. Shell may also make a comeback. Uh, a little more drive towards renewables may also make like a even stronger comeback. So such alternatives, such alternative sources of oil like Venezuela I've seen this week, people exploring also gas from Tanzania or Algeria, where I didn't know previously are very good, are very high producers of some of this. But that, of course, infrastructure-wise will take a while to to shift and to actually kind of protect the base load that we have. Yeah, I mean, this is exactly why in 2021, early last year, we were talking about how there could be a major surge in oil prices in the world. The exploration production side of oil, like, yeah, they're going to start exploring again, but it takes a long time to build that infrastructure. And if you slash 12% of a global production and keep it from being able to be consumed in the rest of the world, that's a big hole to fill up from, a, from an energy standpoint. And so you had severe underinvestment throughout the COVID period and the period before it in oil, because we have been moving towards this renewable energy paradigm. And that is the right thing to do. But what we didn't count on was this size of a supply shock on, on the oil side. And that is something that's going to be really difficult because we still do rely on fossil fuels globally. So something we're dealing with. I, one thing that add here, I think from a humanitarian perspective, the food element of this is so much more important than the energy element of it. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think that's actually an even bigger shock in the market because a lot of, I didn't know that the world relies this much on Ukraine and Russia for food production. I think 25 to 30% of our wheat production globally comes from Ukraine and Russia. So we rely on them for potatoes. So you you get the sense that we are headed to a bit of a crisis, not an, an not just an energy crisis, but also a food crisis in the sense that we still we also need to look for new alternative sources for some of these products that we that we consume regularly, the July on wheat and potatoes and all these kinds. Of, and I don't, that's, at the same time, those are not the kind of things that you can ramp up within a short period of time to actually satisfy global demand. Exactly. And from the perspective of Ukraine, it's not just sanctions that are potentially going to be keeping these commodities off markets. It's the actual physical disruption to the infrastructure where how are you going to be harvesting? How are you going to be planting field during these time periods where, you know, mass displacement of people and then just Ukrainians have a lot more important things. They're fighting, literally fighting for their survival. It's really hard to keep an, an economy going. And so sitting in developed wealthy nations, it's easy to miss the marginal impact that this could have on people around the world. But 25% of the global grain supply in wheat and corn is massive. People depend on this output. And even in the early post-World War II period, we had global famines. We had actual famines. We had times when people couldn't eat. Luckily, we haven't sustained that. And hopefully we don't sustain that again. But it's scary to see that much that much supply potentially coming off of off of global markets. The best resolution for this conflict is that the war ends. And I hope also like the global powers that be around the world can also like push back a little in this so that we can, can, it was, we can be able like to go back to normal situation. We really did not need a war after COVID. It's unfathomable to think of how much destruction one person, a single person can cause. Because it doesn't strike me that there's any popularity to this war in Russia. So I think the whole world is just watching this going like, 
what is Putin doing? Why is he holding the world hostage, you know, over Ukraine? Who knows? Yeah. And I mean, global financial companies have also been responding to some of the sanctions that have been placed by uh, Western countries and, and I've seen Visa, a card, American Exp- Express all stop using their cards in Russia so far. So I hope these are some of the measures we hope that can push back a little bit. It's been good to see global companies respond with very strong measures in terms of uh, trying to combat some of the issues that Lamid Russia is raising at the end of the day. Well, I think this is the last element of like uncertainty that this all causes is with Fed policy, where you had the Fed getting more hawkish um, in order to fight the inflation that it built, built up. And you've got now countervailing forces at the Fed where you've got, on the one hand, this global humanitarian crisis, which has factored into Fed policy more and more recently, COVID being an example. And then on the other hand, you have this inflationary impact of this crisis, which is if you're going to have higher food and energy prices, you're going to have CPI going up a lot potentially. And how the Fed is supposed to respond to to rein in inflation, but it's really hard to see how the Fed can do that aggressively into a humanitarian crisis. So and this is, you know, I guess the only thing we know from Jerome Powell so far is they want to communicate clearly what they're doing so as not to add uncertainty. But I'm not sure the uncertainty is caused by the communication. I think it's as much caused by genuine uncertainty among market participants as well as Fed FOMC members. You wouldn't want to be the Federal Reserve governor right now. It's a, it's a difficult time. I mean, you, you are planning for a couple of uh, raise, raising of rates this year, and then suddenly Russia does its thing. Now you have to factor that into your decision-making. Uh, so well, be- this is why it's so irresponsible to be, you know, managing day-to-day rather than thinking longer term. It was very obvious that they should have started to fight inflation in by the second quarter of last year, if not much earlier. And we had plenty of quotes from business leaders around the country talking about inflation and the Fed was still talking about it being transitory. And, you know, it's uh, now we actually have a real problem that we're facing. And how is the Fed going to react? Their back's kind of against the wall. So anything else you want to cover? Some other things I also saw this week was, of course, um, something else that we've been following for a while, definitely about streaming companies. The fatigue, a repetition of the same, but a very interesting aspect is Disney Plus launching an ad-based platform, or at least launching an ad-based subscription service. So where you pay less, but you get ads and still enjoy the Disney Plus content. Any thoughts on that yourself? Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up because this is the other thing that we should talk about outside of Ukraine is this is a major investment thesis that's shaping up here, that there's a lot of shift that's going to happen here that all of our listeners should probably figure out a way to to benefit from. We're reading more and more about subscription fatigue. The, the stat that's, that stood out to me is that the average person is now actually paying more for the subscription bundle than they were in the old linear TV model between your internet and then the subscriptions. And then the people are actively considering cutting subscriptions. So like this is a headwind to Netflix for sure, but there's probably more, more ability to play this from the long side, just like I don't know exactly where. I can't figure it out quite yet. I don't know if it's Roku. I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but you know, I think more and more people are going to be going back to the old model, basically, of watching TV with advertisements. And like, always, this was like kind of a weird thing where you know the cost of content always, like the '90s and early thousands, 
was supported by both the direct purchase of the content and advertising. And so like, you don't get, there's not a free lunch here, like revenue has to come from somewhere. And, uh, it seems like this is potentially a big, big shift that we should all be investing in. So someone said, I think I saw something online about, is this an indication also like of so these companies reaching substitution in terms of the number of consumers they can get on board for who, who can pay for the content and now they need to ramp up. And I've seen Netflix try out in Kenya. They've given out the free content on Android phones in Kenya, so you can access it for free. So I'm sure that at some point they're going to also have to test the ad-based model. So I feel like the optimal model is something somewhere in between relevant ads and and a subscription, which is, which you've paid for at the same time. Somebody is going to aggregate this content in the same way that DirecTV and Dish and all of the cable companies, Comcast used to do it. You're just going to have somebody aggregating the content and they're going to serve it to you with ads and some basic subscription cost. And the difference between this and linear TV is you're just going to be able to choose what you want to watch, when you want to watch it. The model is really well known and it could even be the existing like DirecTV, Dish, Comcast, like they could do it. And we're all just going to like subscribe to this service that is 15 bucks a month and you watch ads with it, but you have so much more content. I think that actually is a better model in the sense of, as we've talked about a few weeks ago, you want to watch one movie on the, on Disney and then maybe switch to Netflix and then enjoy one more movie. So why not have this aggregator who has both and then you access to both at the same time and who cares? Give me a few ads, <laughs> we'll watch them for that kind of Yeah, not, not to be like, I mean, what's the difference between in the early aughts when you would split from like the Discovery Channel to AMC to, you know, CNN? It's the same thing. Anyways, I think that's probably a good place for us to stop this week a lot to cover and definitely check out the newsletter for more. Um, but yeah, yeah. anything else here? Well, see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us this week. And hopefully our, all our readers are safe wherever they are this week. Uh, stay safe and see you next week. Yes. All right.